Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Hi, listener. This is part two of my conversation with Ron Baker. If you haven't already, you can catch part one from last week, episode 233. We are picking up right where we left off. Let's go over to sale prices and multiples. This is a really interesting one. I had Jody Grunin on the podcast um, a couple of weeks ago. It's episode 225. It's selling Summit CPA for multiples. When people talk about subscription business model, they talk about selling multiples. Um, they talk about the multiples being much higher, like eight, 12, and so on. And when I talked to Jody, we talked about his multiple. He's so gracious in being very open about their business. So he has a subscription business model or recurring revenue. Talked about the multiple being two at the moment. If they hit their goals, then it goes to four. I wanted to ask you about what's the difference right now? We don't have a lot of data points for accounting firms selling their business that is on the subscription business model. So this is just one data point, but where, why the gap for a CPA firm doing somewhere between a two and a four X multiple and a software as a service company doing an eight or 12 times multiple? Well, wow, there's lots of, I think there's a lot, that's a multifaceted answer because the market- Yeah, there, there's what, a lot in that question. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> you know, there's, the, the fact is there's no economies of scale um, in, in a CPA firm because, you know, it's, it's, it's a talent, it's a human capital driven profession. I mean, that's all we have is, is the human capital. Let's dig into that. Why is there no economy of scale and why is it a talent driven profession and does it have to be? Well, <laughs> It's getting better because of, you know, the technology that's coming in, especially the AI and all these new AI tools and bots and all of that. So that that's reducing the need to t for talent on on one thing. You know, we get rid of the surgeon's piercing ears, hopefully, by taking the rote, you know, stuff that we do, we shouldn't be doing anyway and giving it to AI. It's, it's just, it's very hard to scale with, with human capital. It's expensive human capital. You need people that are highly skilled that can guide these transformations. Now, I'm not saying you can't scale. You absolutely can scale a relationship business, even though relationships don't scale. The DPC docs, if you look at them, they once they fill up to 500 or 600 patients, then they bring on another doctor and they grow them to five or 600. I mean, Dr. Paul, the guy we've interviewed from D Detroit uh, four or five times, we've had him on the show. He started out as one person, didn't have anybody in the, in the office with him. Now he's got three doctors working with him. He's about to open a second office and put two doctors in them. So it can scale. 
it can scale, but I'm not sure there's economies of scale there, like say building a battery plant or a car manufacturing plant where, you know, the more you do, the more you build, the, the cheaper they become per unit. It doesn't work that way in the knowledge organization. We're not making widgets. How about productized services and digital products? Well, yeah, I mean, digital products, that can, and I'm not, you know, productized services are great. I mean, if you can do them, if you can create a digital library or whatever, that absolutely, that is totally scalable. Just like a book, you make the movie once, you know, Bing Bing Crosby sings White Christmas once, and, you know, we can all enjoy it, millions of us at the same time without, (laughs) you know, that's a non-rival asset. Absolutely. That should be part of, I think, every firm's portfolio. But that's not necessarily what I'm talking about when I talk about subscription and transformations. I still think we need that human-to-human contact. The digital library can complement it tremendously, by the way, I think, and can take, you know, free up even more capacity. But Geraldine, why are we freeing up capacity? To spend it with our customers. (laughs) To spend that face time, which is why we entered the profession. You know, if you want to build a digital business, a productized business, and never have any customer interactions, I mean, Amazon's essentially done that. If you think about, have you ever contacted anybody at Amazon? Have you ever talked to anybody at Amazon? Yeah, no, not a person. Isn't that kind of amazing? <laughs> We've got this huge company, but there's no there's no relationship there. We have a relationship with the brand, and we subscribe to it, and all of that. But but I don't think that's why we became CPAs. Interesting. So not being a CPA, of course, I have no horse in this race, but I wonder how many CPAs out there are like, are thinking to themselves, yeah, if I never had to meet with another client again, that would be fine. I want to help people. I don't, I mean, I don't know if that's true and I might be exaggerating, but. Oh, I I, I think there's a good chunk of them. I I, I think there's a good chunk of them that would, and those should definitely explore digitized product, you know, become an educator, do YouTube videos and teach how to do software or tax prep or whatever. I mean, that's a viable alternative. But if you want to be if you want to be in the practice of accounting, just like doctors that want to practice medicine, they did that to help people. And that a big part of that is human to human connection. The, the piece in there that I question is whether or not it's required to have a human connection in order to help somebody. Oh no, I don't think it is. I think Amazon's proof of that. But would you want would you want a doctor strictly that was telemedicine? Well, strictly telemedicine, if depending on if we're assuming like Zoom calls, that would be fine with me because I hate driving to the hospital to go meet with my doctor and sit in the waiting room with a bunch of other sick people. But if we're talking like chat doctor, right? Chat bot doctor, that I don't know that I would want, but there's a price point for every service. Oh no, I'm talking about human telemedicine, say Zoom, whatever. So I think there's two things in here. Certainly, I mean, the telemedicine and the, like, I think a lot of CPAs right now are doing teleaccounting because of COVID. And now they've realized like, oh, actually I don't have to meet my client in person. Well, when you, when you productize, so I, I can, with COVID, I can meet all my customers on Zoom and that frees up some capacity. So then what do we go and do? We go and get more customers of the type we shouldn't have to begin with and, and expand that capacity and get the same type. We don't go deeper with the customers we have and help them do higher value things like guide transformations. We go out and get more of what we shouldn't have or not be doing in the first place. The Jody Grundon thing, the, I, I didn't know the multiple that he sold to uh, the regional firm for, but uh, I have issues with Jody's business model. He has structured the subscription not the way I'm talking about it in the book. He's got too much complexity. I think there's too much a la carte stuff in his pricing model. And But what I do like about what he's done is he is niched. He's 
very well niched in the, I think, marketing firms, isn't it? Um, he's got a very high price per customer. I think it's 75,000 per customer last time I talked to him. And he's got a few customers, not, you know, not many, I think a hundred and something for his team. So each team member, I guess, guess gets 15 or whatever it is that they have to manage. So I like that. It's kind of, that's like the concierge doctor. The concierge doctor model is those guys have 50 patients. That's it. 50 patients. Now it's 35 grand a year. But, you know, that's a viable business model. Here's how your multiple is going to be determined by a buyer. They're going to come in, they're going to look at your firm, they're going to look at your top line, and they're going to take that revenue top line and they're going to put it into two buckets. One is recurring revenue, which is subscription, and the other is reoccurring revenue. This is a distinction that uh, the author, John Warlow, makes. He wrote the book, The Automatic Customer, but more importantly, he wrote the book, built to sell. Yeah. Great book. Great book. How to position your price. You've probably interviewed him. I have twice. Okay, great. So he talks about this distinction and he says, reoccurring revenue is kind of like a rash. <laughs> uh, it may or may not come back. We never know when, right? We, we do a lot of one and done. You would be amazed how many firms do one and done projects and what a chunk of revenue it represents, especially as you move up into bigger firms. Uh, they do a lot of one and done stuff. That's going to get paid out at, you know, one times, maybe even less. But the recurring revenue, if it's true subscription, and subscription is not a monthly price or an annual price divided by 12. That's not what a subscription business model is. A subscription business model needs to be plus. Your customers need to know they subscribe. You should be able to cancel at any time. You should have a subscription agreement. Your accounting better look different. You better have annual recurring revenue beginning and ending on your income statement. And if you don't track all the subscription KPIs, then I would argue you're not a subscription business. You're, you're, you know, because a subscription business has different KPIs and different accounting income statement. It's completely different. And I lay that all out in the book. Um, but that recurring revenue, according to John Warlow, he's seeing between four and I think he said 11 times gross for professional firms. Now, I don't know how many accounting firms are in his sample. I think he's got a database of like 100,000 businesses that have sold because he helps them do it. But he's seeing much more multiples. I, you know, you probably saw Adobe just bought this company called Figma and they paid $24 billion for it. Figma, if I remember right, had an annual recurring revenue at the time of sale of $500 million and they received 24 billion with a B. Figure that multiple out, it's massive. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna risk doing podcast math for that one. Okay, because I've gotten in trouble with that before. Okay, and I also wanna thank Jody Grundin for being open about his business and his numbers and allowing, um, if we can call ourselves, um, I can never remember the name of the two Muppets up in the balcony. Oh, uh, St <laughs> Statler and Statler Waldorf. And Waldorf. <laughs> yes, those guys are great. From up in the balcony, critiquing from afar, we certainly appreciate that because you know there are there are not a lot of examples to look at and study in order to say, okay, here's what I like about this, here's what I like about the other, here's what I like about this third, and how can I take what other people are doing and pioneering and learn from them? Right. But see, just on that, I mean, I knew about Jody when I wrote the book, and I knew he, because we had him on our show too, and he was an early adopter of subscription, at least the way he's implemented it. And I did look at that, but 
again, I, I'm going to really encourage people, stop looking at people like you to be different. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go outside. Yes. I mean, I, this, I, I mean, for me, I don't have this problem of saying, well, there's not, there's not many data points out there. There's a ton of data points. Look what's going on with DPCs. As I watch that industry grow and grow and transform and change and get better at the customer experience, we're in a renaissance with this model. And especially now with what Amazon's done. So there's a ton of data points. You just have to get outside of your profession and look. Yeah, thank you for underlining that. There are a ton of data points outside of the industry. Go look for other industries. Look for other data points for inspiration. Okay, I want to talk about plussing because I hear you say it a lot. And I want to talk about pricing the portfolio and pricing the relationship because I hear you say those things. And oftentimes I ask myself, I wonder what he means. So can you be more specific or give some examples about what does it mean to plus? Paramount, Paramount Plus, Apple, Apple Plus, Accountant, Accountant Plus. Like, what is that? This was actually a term that Walt Disney used when he was building Disneyland after the park opened. He said, I want to continuously plus the guest experience. I want all you executives, he just lamented to his executives every day, I want you in the park observing and trying, mate, and, and let's plus the park continuously to make the guest experience even better. So that would mean maybe, you know, starting an electrical parade for or a Christmas parade or something. I remember one story where he, you know, said we're going to have a Christmas parade and his executives said, no, oh, Walt, that's going to cost a fortune. It's only a, a, you know, a week, a year or a month, a year that we can run it. It's going to be too expensive. And he, he got really mad and he said, listen, he said, if we don't continuously plus the customer experience, our guests aren't going to come back. And he said, unless we can get them to come back and give them something and delight them and surprise them with new things always, then he said, we're going to, they're never going to come back. Why would they come back to experience the same thing? So it's this culture that's still embedded in, in Disney parks that you've got to continuously plus the customer experience. And I think we need to continuously plus our experience. So, and, and that can be as simple as we always have capacity to handle special projects or if you need something by tomorrow, you know, we can get it to you just like the DPC docs because fewer customers. If we have a new offering or, hey, we've read a book because we're specialized in this industry and we just read this book and maybe we bring that to you and start asking you questions and we have a discussion about that book or maybe we set up a CFO round table or CEO round table. I mean, there's all different things that we can do that don't require us to sell our hands. We don't have to plus with services and scope of work. That's not what the customer cares about anyway. That's all table stake. To me, it, it's it's when we can we can transfer that knowledge that we have and that wisdom, like you were talking about earlier, healthier, wealthier, and wise. And let's educate our customers, not just about the basics, but once that's done, let's take them to higher and higher levels. And that's what that's what we mean by plussing. And if you look at any subscription business, the good ones, they all have a plussed offering. So if I go to Porsche Drive and subscribe to Porsche Drive, yes, there is an option now for one car, but but I can get an option that gives me a fleet of seven cars available. That's a plussed offering. And more importantly, it's no longer about the car. <laughs> it's about my relationship with Porsche. I now have a direct relationship with Porsche, a one-to-one -one relationship. 
it's not tied to the car because I can get an SUV, I can get a convertible, I can get seven different models. So that's what I mean by the relationship. It's not, it, we're pricing that relationship. We're not pricing the car. We're not pricing the transaction. We're not pricing the services. We're pricing the relationship and we're monetizing it. And just like Porsche will be able to monetize it because now, because I'm driving seven of their cars around, they know what I listen to. They know my entertainment preferences. They know where I'm going. <laughs> so they know my food choice. You know, they know a lot about me that I'm sure they're going to be able to monetize down the road in fruitful ways. That's what I mean by plusing. It's got to be, it's got to be a plused offering. Anything that you need, you're covered. No more scope creep, no more change orders. If you need it and we can do it, hint, hint, there's the constraint. <laughs> You're not going to get the the DPC doc to do, you know, a knee, a knee replacement. If you need it, we'll just do it. Get audited and we do audits, then you're covered. So here's where I suspect some accountants have a difficult time with this because their brains immediately are like, oh my God, don't you know how busy I already am? What are you talking about? Anything you need, you're covered. I'm like already underwater and backlogged by four weeks. How am I pot? Like, I can't offer that. You could if you had fewer customers. You could if you had fewer customers and you weren't scared of pricing really high. What do accountants need to change in their thinking? Or what do some accountants need to change in their thinking so that they're not scared of high prices? realize that this is a different business model and it's got a different revenue model and a different profit formula. So if now I, I don't think we can convince people with logic of things that they don't want to be convinced of. <laughs> so I, I'm not here. I mean, Geraldine, this is, this is for the two and a half percent. We are, we are back to the left side of the diffusion curve with the two and a half percent innovators. That's all I care about. That's all I'm going after. I'm not trying to get half the profession to adopt this no no we're we're talking about the trailblazers we're we're talking about the people that are going to blaze this trail and leave behind maps for the curious and and the later adopters so i'm not out to convince anybody of this all i'm saying is if you want to study this more then you realize the reason that shouldn't freak you out to say basically all you can eat and i hate that but that's what people say oh you're talking about an all you can eat model like what no all you can eat of the food that you want to serve. And there's only so much I can eat. <laughs> That's right. And, and, and there's only so much you can cook. Right. Again, the DPC docs aren't going to do surgery and oncology and all the other specialties. They're, they're going to say, this is what I can do for you as a physician. But why that shouldn't scare you is because it's a different profit formula. It's got a different profit formula. You're building lifetime annuities that are more valuable than the cost to acquire them. So we're not looking at the math of the moment. We're looking at that customer lifetime value and we're growing that. And that's an annuity that's going to, you know, it's the gift that keeps on giving what, what Robbie Kilman Baxter calls the forever transaction. And, and that's just a different profit formula. So last few questions here. In terms of actually taking the existing business that you have, let's say we have listeners who are on board and they're thinking, okay, I get it. I want to do it. I get that we're trailblazing here. There are no maps. I'm willing to go off the map. Let's talk about the options for taking your existing firm and transforming it inside out versus spinning off a new firm. And your third option, which is the one in the middle, which is definitely don't do that. So what are your thoughts about which one of these you prefer and why? Well, 
my thinking on this has kind of been influenced by the empirical evidence that's been generated by uh, mostly subscribe the Zora Institute, which is the software platform that uh, runs subscription businesses. They've got thousands of customers across different industries. And of course, they're in the mid-market space. I mean, they're not selling their software to sole proprietors and small businesses. It's too expensive. But that said, they have enough empirical data to see what what pivot strategy works best. And they come hands down to it's best to spin out a business and create a brand new business with a plus offering, with different accounting, with different KPIs, with a different mindset. That's their what they say is the highest probability of success. I believe that's true because if you study the work of Clayton Christensen, you know, talked about the innovator's dilemma and disrupt he the guy that did the disrupt the theory of disruption basically he said it's very difficult for a, for a business to disrupt itself right this is why google is you know paranoid about chat gpt i mean they didn't see this coming i mean what kills you doesn't look like you often <laughs> so right now you know google's scrambling to respond to chat gpt i don't know if they're going to be able to do it maybe maybe not we'll see and and the threat from microsoft bang and all of that but it's very hard for a business to disrupt itself. It really is. It's it's incredibly difficult because it's a different mindset. When you know, I mean, taxi cabs never thought about what Uber thought about. Hotels never thought about what Airbnb thought about. How could you not own a hotel and yet have millions of rooms? <laughs> How could you? You know, they, it, just like Xerox Park didn't realize what they had with the mouse interface. I mean, Xerox invented the computer that Steve Jobs basically looked at and said, oh my God, this is amazing. But Xerox was trapped in a business model that says, oh no, but we sell copiers and it's 10 cents a page and you can't put a meter on a computer. What, yeah. how, how are we going to monetize this? Kodak, like, I <laughs> it, don't know. It, it's, yeah, it, it's very hard. It's very hard for a business to disrupt itself. So I do believe spinning out a new entity and maybe putting your best talent in it. You should always invest your best talent in tomorrow, not yesterday. And have it slowly cannibalize the old firm is probably the highest probability of success. Now, I'd modify that to say, if you were a small firm that only had, and I don't know what the number is, maybe less than 100 customers, you could probably gradually pivot to this model by taking a tranche of your existing customers and putting them on subscription and then taking a second tranche and, you know, doing it that way. The problem with the gradual pivot is, you know, people say, oh, we're going to test this, but we're going to only test it in tax or CAS or, you know, one of their offerings. When they, okay, that's a low risk test, but it's also a low reward test because, you know, profits come from risk. And once you hit a challenge in that low reward test, you're going to go, see, it doesn't work. And you're going to revert back to the status quo because it's easier. When you spit out, spin out a new firm, now you have skin in the game. You're probably going to make it work. And that's probably why it's more successful because it's just a different mindset. Or you can try and do what Adobe did. Adobe, when they made the transition to the cloud, they said on such and such date, I think it was like a year and a half away, we're no longer going to sell software in a box. We're no longer going to support it upgrade it. You're going to have to go on online. Investors were pissed. Customers were pissed. But of course, they they did it. Of course, Adobe's thriving. But <laughs> most small accounting firms don't have the managerial talent of an Adobe or a Disney 
Disney's gradually moving to subscription. You can see it with Disney Plus, ESPN, even some of their parks you can subscribe to now. Apple has about 20% of its revenue on a subscription, recurring revenue basis, you know, music and TV and all that. But those companies have vast resources and a lot of talent. And they can probably do it. I don't think smaller accounting firms can. So the folks I work with have small businesses, right? We're talking typically between five and 10 staff, sometimes just one person, a bookkeeper to help out. So they are small. They don't have a bunch of talent that they can say, you know, here are 10 people, you guys go figure out a new business model. What I'm seeing and what I'm curious on your, about your, um, what I'm curious to get your take on is I'm seeing the committed pivot, not the gradual pivot, but the committed pivot. Like, hey, clients, we're going in this direction. We've identified you as somebody who might want to come with us. Here's where we're going. Do you want to come? Yes or no? And they immediately start moving like a zipper, like one you know at a time, all the way through their client roster and high grading the ones who want to come with them and upgrading them to the higher level service. And the ones who make the committed pivot it's working well and they can make the um, they make they can make a committed pivot in 6 8 12 months and transform their business model. What I'm seeing with the ones who spin out a new business model, I think that they don't have the staff. Well, I don't I don't know what the reason is, but that would be my guess. But with the spin out the new business model, the old business can like they can't extricate themselves sufficiently from the pre-existing business to give the new business that they're spinning out sufficient time and attention to breathe life into it in a way where it can stand up. It struggles because the pre-existing business continues to occupy the attention. So I'm just curious to get your take on that because I don't want to say that the spin out a new business model can't work because I don't think that's a fair conclusion. It likely can work if we address the reasons that it's currently not working as well as we want it to. So what's your take on that? Right. And 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 look, I'm seeing the same thing you are with some of the smaller firms, especially bookkeepers. And um, I don't think I've said this yet, but I do think bookkeepers will probably be the first to make this transition for two reasons, a couple reasons at least, is bookkeepers have stronger relationships with their customers than CPAs do. Now you tell a CPA that and their head will explode, but I promise you it's true because those bookkeepers are usually, they're at the coalface. They're working inside the customer's business and they're usually the first person that the business person will call when they have an issue. They won't call their CPA, their CPA is too busy, but they'll talk to their bookkeeper because the bookkeeper is trusted advisor. Even if they can't solve their problem, you know, they can give them advice or whatever. And second, they have fewer customers. So usually a bookkeeping firm has 20 to 40 customers per bookkeeper somewhere in there. And so it's easier for them to do this gradual pivot. You know, the Model B that, that, that Zora says is a sure road to failure. I'm not sure it is if you have a small number of customers. You, you, can, you can, I think, make that work. So I, I think it is possible to do a gradual pivot. When I, I, I helped a couple of uh, doctors move to uh, direct primary care, and what they did, of course, because there's extra legal issues in their world because of insurance and Medicare, they have to opt out of those programs. So the dates have to, but basically what they said was in one year as of such and such date, 
we're only going to be a DPC doc. We're not going to take insurance, Medicare, blah, blah, blah. If you need another doctor to go to, we, we've got, here's three references. We'll make introductions, blah, blah, blah. But if you want to stay with us, which we hope you do, you know, here's, here's what the new plan is. And so they did pick that Adobe in the future date. And just at that date, they made the transition. They were all in. They had to be. There's three models there, but I still like, if you have... If you have the capacity to do it, I like spinning out a new firm because it's kind of like a fresh start. There's something psychological about that. It's a different mindset. It's a plus offering. It's going probably after a different type of customer because my guess is you're, you're going to end up losing some customers that don't want to go. And if you're worried about the financial hit, well, then maybe you keep that old firm running in its old model, in its current model, and just let the new one cannibalize it over time better to cannibalize yourself than you know be cannibalized by the com competition right better to dine with friends if you're going to be cannibalized <laughs> i love it there's so much good stuff here surely for listeners if you have not yet be sure to pick up a copy of ron and paul's book time's up and if you're to give people a place to start where they can feel confident that they can make this transition. What's the one thing that you really want them to know? I, I would ask that they, they reflect on why they became a CPA. And if their answers similar to mine, it is, wasn't to have 2000 customers. It wasn't to do the most tax returns during busy season or work the most hours. It wasn't to build the most hours. Um, it was to help people. And I think the subscription model finally aligns our rhetoric with our, with our business model that says we are going to monetize the relationship and we're going to provide a plus offering and we're going to work at our, at our full capability, which is to guide transformations. You know, Porsche can't guide a transformation. Sure, they can sell me, you know, they can give me access to seven of their models and they can help me through my midlife crisis and maybe make my, my neighbors envious. But they're not really transforming me or taking me to a new place. We have that ability as CPAs, and that's a privilege and a duty to, to do that, to help our customers, to make that impact on their life. And isn't that why we join the profession? And I think once you realize that, then this model makes the most sense rather than a fee-for-service model or an hourly model. It's a privilege to be able to help people. So for folks who want to find your book, where can they do it? The best, well, it's available on Amazon. There's also a Kindle version. And you can also go to thesoulofenterprise.com slash times up. We are going to be launching a community, I think in April sometime, maybe April Fool's Day, I don't know. But um, to, to give people a chance to join others that are on the same, you know, transformational path with their firms and learn from one another and, you know, have access to me and Ed. Um, but really a community just to support one another because this is a different way of thinking. I don't expect that community to be massive, but just like when we started with value pricing back in the day of 1991 or two when I started teaching it, it was just a handful of people that you know blazed the trail for everybody else. And now you know 30 years later or whatever it is, to me, value pricing, that, that's been done. That's been done. Now we're kind of skating to where the puck is going, which I think is subscription. And therefore, we need those trailblazers. So you can learn more about that community at 
thesoulofenterprise.com slash times up. Awesome. And we'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Rob Baker, thanks so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you, Geraldine. It was my honor. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.